0: I love flip-flops. Anybody else just love flip-flops? I, I would wear flip-flops 365 days a year if I could. Love them. But um, here's one of the funny things about, about me. My, my wife goes crazy because I'm one of these people that never throws anything away never throw anything away. And in particular, I have this thing about just saving shoes because I love shoes and I never buy shoes unless I really like them. And I I just hardly ever throw them away. So this morning I was getting dressed and I put on my favorite flip-flops and then I thought to myself, I wonder how many pairs of flip-flops I even have. And uh, I I got in the closet and started counting and uh, I was actually surprised. I thought I had more. So I, I think maybe my wife is throwing them away and I haven't noticed. Because I only found 11 pairs of flip-flops. <laughs> but I have, been, I have been collecting shoes from my youth and I just don't throw them away, especially if they're my favorites. And I brought some of them to share with you this morning. Because um, I, I really love my shoes. And And in the 80s, okay, some of you are too young to even remember the 80s. Some of you weren't even born in the 80s. That's cool. But I was a super cool dude in the 80s. And this is one of my favorite pairs of shoes. Love these. These are vans. You guys remember vans? And uh, five, six years ago, when all the skateboarders started wearing vans again, and they they reissued these, I'm like, I said to Chris, I got to get myself a pair of vans. Because I love my vans, and so we'd go out shopping for vans, and, and she'd say, no, just no, and, and she, wouldn't let me, she wouldn't let me buy a pair of vans. So every once in a while, I'd pull those out and wear them just to get under her skin. And, uh, this was actually my first pair of vans. Look at that. No, I don't have a purse, because in the 80s, real men wore pink, remember? Remember? Yeah, we, we were wearing pink. And, uh, and so, le- listen, listen, this is awesome. A week ago, I made up my mind I was going to buy myself a pair of Vans, regardless of what Chris said. So uh, I, I, I went to the store. There's a new store in Bozeman called Shoe Carnival, if some of you have been there. And I went shopping, and I tried on a bunch of pair of Vans. And Chris found a pair that she said were age-appropriate. So... I bought the age-appropriate <laughs> Vans. They're just gray. But they're Vans, right? And, and they're age-appropriate. Okay, can I show you one more pair? This is my favorite, okay? Uh, these are probably vintage, uh, probably 1975. Do you remember, those of you that are my age or older... Remember Tony Orlando? Check these out. <laughs> and they still fit. That's what's hilarious. But do you still wear them? I don't still wear them. They're they're in our crawl space and uh, they just come out on special occasions. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, Those aren't going on today, no. So today, we are continuing uh, our summer series on the names of Jesus. And today, uh, we're on our third message in this series, and we're talking about the name of Jesus being the Son of Man. And I really do have a point for all these shoes. And, and the point is this, what we're going to discover as we unpack this name of Jesus The Son of Man, we're going to discover that Jesus walks in our shoes. Jesus walks in our shoes. Or or in his case, maybe he walks in a pair of sandals. In fact, I was uh, looking at that picture today and I was thinking, um, those sandals look pretty good. I need to find myself a pair of those, something like that. Uh, But Jesus walks in our shoes. And, uh, and I think you're going to find some really amazing revelations this morning as we just talk about Jesus being the Son of Man. And I want to get started this morning by just asking you a couple of simple questions. First of all, do you feel like Jesus gets you? Do you feel like Jesus gets you? Or, or maybe I could say it this way, do you think Jesus understands you? Does he get who you are? And maybe a more difficult question would be this one. Do you think that Jesus approves of you? That's kind of a difficult question because I I think that most of us live with a deep, abiding fear that at the end of the day, Jesus disapproves of us. And I, I hope that by the end of my message today that you will find that that assumption, if you are holding to that, that that assumption is blown apart. Because Jesus is the Son of Man. That's actually what he called himself. And we're gonna take a look at some of the scriptures that talk about that this morning. If you've got your Bible with you today or if you uh, follow along on an electronic device like I do, uh, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 26? Matthew chapter 26. You may already be aware, if you've ever read the Gospels or if you've done any studies into the life of Jesus, you might be aware that Jesus preferred the title Son of Man more than any other title. Uh, We've already talked about his name being Jesus and the title Christ, which means Messiah. Last week, we talked about Jesus being Emmanuel, which means God is with us. That's probably one of our favorite names that we talk about most often. Actually, Emmanuel is only used one time in the New Testament and twice in the Old Testament. But Son of Man is used in the New Testament alone 88 times. And it was the title that Jesus usually used when he was referring to himself. And this, this name or this title, Son of Man could mean a variety of things. You see, it was used extensively in the Old Testament. The prophet Daniel used the title Son of Man. And and more than Daniel, the prophet Ezekiel used the title Son of Man to refer to himself. And in an Old Testament context, we would would probably come to the conclusion that Son of Man means a few of these things. If you're taking notes, you can jot these things down. Uh, Son of Man could mean just simply... A human being. It could mean a human being. And that's that's the sense that the prophet Ezekiel used it in the Old Testament, that that he was just a human being. Or it could mean deep humility. Deep humility. In other words, I'm nothing special. I'm just an ordinary son of human beings. And, And that could be one meaning of son of man. But over time, and by the time Jesus was alive and was ministering on the earth and using this title, that term had come to have messianic implications. In other words, there were overtones when Jesus was using the term son of man that possibly he was the Messiah. Now, as 21st century Christians, we understand and we believe that Jesus is the Messiah. But when Jesus was walking the earth, and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, when he was ministering, he avoided the title Messiah. Because once he revealed himself to be the Messiah, he was concerned that people would rise up and force him into a role that he didn't want to take. And that role would be that of a political, uh, a political radical that was bent on overthrowing the Roman government. That's not what Jesus came to do, even though he was the Messiah. And so he chose to call himself the Son of Man. Now, if you've got your Bibles open, uh, I want us to read one of the stories in which the word Son of Man is used by Jesus himself. And this particular story in Matthew chapter 26 comes at the end of Jesus' ministry, uh, when we, we begin reading uh, at verse 57, if you want to follow along, we find that Jesus is on trial. Judas has betrayed him. He's been brought into the home of Caiaphas, the high priest. And all of the events are beginning to unfold that would eventually lead to the crucifixion of Jesus. But, but Caiaphas, the high priest, was looking to prosecute Jesus. In fact, his motive in prosecuting Jesus was to put him to death. Because you see, Jesus had become such a problem politically that it was easier for him to be dead. And so they were finding a way to charge him with crimes that would lead to capital punishment. But you see, Jesus had not done anything that was deserving of capital punishment. He had hordes of people that were following him. He was teaching radical things that was turning Judaism on its ear. The the high priest and all of these religious leaders were afraid of him because the people were, were following Jesus so passionately, but they couldn't pin anything on him. They kept trying and trying to pin charges on him, but they couldn't make anything stick. So they eventually, the religious leaders eventually began to look for false witnesses. They couldn't find real witnesses, so they tried to find false witnesses. And in Matthew chapter 26, this is what we find happening. And eventually they found two people that would come forward and they would say, uh, They would say that Jesus said things that were deserving of death. And specifically in verse 61, if you've got your Bible open, this is what they charged Jesus with. One of the false witnesses said, this man, Jesus, said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Now, it's kind of interesting that that's what they chose to charge Jesus with. Jesus had said something similar to that, But those weren't actually the words that Jesus had said. He was actually prophesying about his death and resurrection. But they twisted his words so it sounded like his stuff, but it was actually quite different. But this was the charge. And then in verse 62, if you're following along, the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus remained silent. And then the high priest said to him, and, and, and listen to his words, I demand in the name of the living God, tell us, Jesus, if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. I want to read that one more time. I demand in the name of the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus replied, his reply is fascinating. First of all, he says to the high priest, you are the one that said it. You have said that I'm the Messiah, the Son of God. And then he said this, and this is what set the whole room on fire. He said, and in the future, you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, to our 21st century ears, that might not sound so radical, but every religious leader in the room at the time was completely familiar with the prophecies from the Old Testament scriptures, and in particular, the prophecy from Daniel chapter 7 that Jesus was echoing. And I want you to see this. This is up on the screen. You don't have to turn there in your Bibles. But in Daniel chapter 7, we read this prophecy. Daniel writes, My vision continued that night, and I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. Now, Daniel is foreseeing this person that Looks human, right? A son of man, but he's flying in the clouds and then he approaches the ancient one, God Almighty. He goes on to say this. He was given, the son of man was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that the people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is what? eternal his rule is eternal his kingdom will never be destroyed now this prophecy was familiar to Caiaphas and all of those religious leaders that Jesus was standing before but they understood that these verses that talked about a son of man were talking about an eternal messiah And when Jesus says, in the future you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming in the clouds of heaven, Jesus was saying, I am that person that Daniel saw. If you've got your thumb in Matthew chapter 26, take a look at what the reaction of the high priest was. Verse 65, then the high priest tore his clothing, to show his horror, and he said, Blasphemy! Why do we need other witnesses? You have all heard his blasphemy. And then he asked the crowd, What is your verdict? And they all shouted, Guilty! He deserves to die. They had finally found the charge they were looking for, that Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah. If you're taking notes this morning, you can jot this down. Jesus affirmed that he was the Messiah that the prophets had foreseen. Jesus affirmed that he was the Messiah that the prophets had foreseen. If you weren't here two weeks ago when we talked about Messiah, the Messiah just means simply means the anointed one. But when we look at the prophecy of Daniel, we understand that this Messiah is all-powerful that he's an eternal ruler, that he is this extraordinary son of man, yes, but he's clearly like God. And Jesus was that Messiah. But when we talk about Jesus being the son of man, we find that he's so much more. And here's some things that I want to share with you this morning. Several other scriptures from the New Testament that talk about the humanity of Jesus one of my favorites is from the first chapter of the gospel of john it says this in verse 1 you may be familiar with this verse it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god and then in verse 14 we read this and the word god became what became flesh And dwelt among us. You see, Jesus walked in our shoes. Jesus walked in our shoes. And I like to imagine that Jesus probably wore vans just like my gray ones. I, I, this morning, I was just kind of imagining, what if Jesus went shopping at Shoe Carnival with the disciples, okay? And, and they were looking at vans, and Jesus is trying all these vans, and, the, and, and, and Peter, you know, he was always the impulsive one. What if Peter, uh, you know, came up to Jesus and said, I think, Jesus, you should get the red checkered ones. Those, those are cool, you know? And then one of those women that was always with the disciples, she would say, Jesus, get the gray ones. They're more age-appropriate, you know, because... <laughs> He, he wasn't a kid anymore, you know. Uh, but listen, Jesus walked in our shoes. He walked in our shoes. Listen, listen to this verse from, uh, from Philippians chapter 2. It says, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to, but although he was God, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself. Jesus walked in our shoes. I got a little carried away. Jesus walked in our shoes. Do, do, you, do you understand what this, what this implies? I remember, I remember in my late 20s, before I got married, when the reality of the humanity of Jesus began to pierce my heart. I was, I was struggling with being a single Christian man in a very fallen world, and I was struggling with all of the things that single people struggle with, the temptations and the desires and the loneliness and, and, and all of the stuff that is so difficult to deal with. And And I was studying the Bible one day, and I began to read about the humanity of Jesus and how he didn't grasp to his deity, but he humbled himself and became a human being. And it dawned on me, I I was probably 28 or 29 years old, it dawned on me that Jesus was affected by the same things that I was affected by. He was single until he died. We, we know from history that Jesus was probably about 33 years old when he was finally crucified. He never married, but, but he went through all those things that we go through in those periods of our life. And he was just like me. It changed the way I thought about myself. It changed the way I thought about Jesus. It changed the way I lived my life because I realized for the first time that Jesus walked in my shoes And in those days, those were the shoes I was walking in. And and it was Jesus that got me. He understood me. And he didn't reject me or turn away from me because I was struggling with a bunch of stuff that was difficult to deal with. This is one of the scriptures that Jesus brought to me in those days from Hebrews chapter 4. Look at this. I love this one. It says, since then we have a great high priest. This is Jesus, who has passed through the heavens. That's lofty language, isn't it? Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect, would you say every respect with me? One who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. In every respect, friends, he was tempted just like you. He was tempted just like me, and he didn't sin. When I read this verse, it just changed me because I realized Jesus walked in our shoes. Jesus walked in my shoes as nerdy as they might have been back in the 70s. Jesus was walking with me. (laughs) That's sick and wrong, somebody said. (laughs) It is sick and wrong. It's sick and wrong if you don't understand that Jesus gets you. It's sick and wrong if you don't understand that Jesus has lived where you live and he's able to completely identify with you. But he gets it. I was thinking this morning about a movie that came out in the late 80s. uh, Kind of an interesting movie. Some of you may remember it. It was actually a, a, a pretty forgettable movie. It was called The Last Temptation of Christ. Do any of you remember that movie? Uh, It was a Martin Scorsese film that came out, and uh, in looking back on it, most people that follow the movies will admit that this movie was just a bad movie. It was poorly done. It was boring. There was nothing particularly interesting about it. But the topic of the movie was the humanity of Jesus Christ. And the film writers had written this story, imagining what kinds of temptations Jesus must have struggled with. And and they got this movie all done, and and I I believe that they realized that nobody was going to see this movie because it was just so boring. And, And so what they began to do is release trailers out to the media that would offend Christians. And it showed Jesus fantasizing about sexual encounters with some of the women that were in his group of disciples. And, and it was very offensive, and, and Christians all over the country got all worked up. And, and I was in one of those churches that went down to the local theater, and we were picketing. Don't show the last temptation of Christ. And what happened is the movie makers were very, very clever by by. Working up all the Christians because what we did is provided them all with a bunch of free advertising, right? So everybody wanted to watch this really boring film that put everybody to sleep, but the Christians were all worked up over, you know. Years later, uh, I, I got kind of curious and I thought I want to see what all the hullabaloo was uh, was with that movie, and so I rented it. And uh, like I say, it was extremely boring. I fell asleep several times in it. Uh, and, and here's what I found in watching that movie years later. Many of the graphic illustrations of the temptation that Jesus was exposed to probably was way over the top. They were illustrating the temptation that Jesus was was going through uh, in a way that was offensive to Christians, absolutely. However, they got one thing right. These movie makers understood that Jesus wasn't just the Son of God. He was the Son of Man. He was completely human, and as a human being, he struggled with the same temptations that any of us struggle with on a day-to-day basis. Terry, would you move the, the, the slides back again to that Hebrews 414 slide? Listen to this one more time. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect, would you say every respect again? Every respect. Has been tempted as we are, and yet he is without sin. Do you know that Jesus gets you? Do you know that Jesus understands what you go through? Do you know that Jesus doesn't disapprove of you? Because he's walked in your shoes. Whatever those shoes are, look at your feet. Imagine those shoes upon the feet of Jesus. Jim, yours are the feet of Jesus with Crocs and socks. But Jesus walks in your shoes, Jim. Jesus gets you. My wife is wearing a pair of shoes she's never worn before. Chrissy, oh, you have worn them. Well, nonetheless, they're beautiful orange shoes. Jesus walks in your shoes, Chrissy, and he gets you. Dwight's wearing flips. Oh, they're out. But Dwight, Jesus walks in your shoes. He gets you. He gets you. Tennis shoes, boat shoes. Jesus walks in your shoes, and he gets you. So let me give you a couple of next steps and then we'll wrap this up today. A couple of next steps. What, what do we do with this information of who Jesus is? Number one, I want to say this to you. Please, please, please hear this. I want to encourage you, don't be afraid of Jesus. Don't be afraid of Jesus. I said this earlier. I, I think many of us live with this deep abiding fear that Jesus disapproves of us. Completely incongruent with what the Scripture says because the Scripture says that he has walked where we walk. And you don't have to be afraid of him. The next verse in Hebrews 4 that we were just reading says this, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This follows on the heels of that verse I just read two times about how Jesus was tempted just like we are. And so the result of that knowledge is that we can come to him confident that he will give us mercy and grace and he will help us when we need him. So don't shrink away in fear. Afraid that Jesus, for some reason, is going to reject you. That somehow your mistakes, or your temptations, or your self-identity, who you are, is so unacceptable to Jesus that he will reject you. He hasn't rejected anybody else, including that thief that was crucified on the cross next to him. But you think he may reject you. I want you to know he will not. And you can find mercy and grace and help when you come to him. So don't be afraid of him. Here's number two. On the other side of the coin, don't stop fighting sin. I think one of the things that happens sometimes when we feel like, like Jesus doesn't approve of us or Jesus doesn't like us or Jesus doesn't understand, sometimes when we're really struggling through uh, temptation and, 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 and those things that we know we've got to get rid of out of our life, we just feel like I, I can't make it. Jesus isn't helping me. Jesus doesn't get me. So I might as well just give in and just do what comes natural to me. Listen to this verse from Hebrews chapter 12, a few chapters away. It says this, In your struggle with sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Do you know what this, this writer was referring to? He was referring to that night when Jesus knelt in the garden and he was praying. And you know what was going on in his mind? He was was tempted to quit the mission because he knew that God was calling him to give up his life. He knew that he was going to go to Calvary and he was going to die a death of crucifixion, the most brutal death that anybody has ever invented in their minds. Jesus knew that was his fate, and he was praying to God, don't make me do it. Don't make me do it. And the Bible says that he was struggling so severely that he began to sweat drops of blood. And his temptation to walk away from the mission God had sent him on was so great that he literally bled out of the pores of his head. And what Hebrews 12 says is, you can do it. You're struggling with temptation. You're struggling with sin, yes, but you haven't bled over it yet, so keep going. Why? Because Jesus will help you. He will give you mercy, he will give you strength, he will give you grace. If you just come to him and keep working, keep persevering, keep praying, keep resisting the devil until he flees from you, you can do it. Because Jesus will walk with you. And in fact, he's walked in your shoes ahead of time. And he'll strengthen you to do it. Scott, you want to come and, and, and band if you would come? We're going to sing this song. And as they do, can I just ask you this question? What would your life look like? Listen to me carefully. What would your life look like if you lived in the understanding that not only is Jesus walking with you, but he's walking in your shoes with you? What would your life look like? Are you tired of struggling? Are, are, are you tired of feeling tempted and feeling like you just give in over and over and over and it's the same struggle all the time? Are, are you tired of feeling like Jesus doesn't get you or he doesn't approve of you? Are you tired of that rat race? Can you just imagine with me how different life would be if you grasped on to the reality? that Jesus is walking with you in your shoes. That's who he is. That's who he is. He's the son of man. And he didn't come to lord it over us. He didn't come to make us all feel guilty and condemned. He came to walk with us. It's good, isn't it? Don't you love Jesus? Let's do this. Last Sunday, we had a great prayer and worship time at the end of our service last week. Many of you stayed and just uh, loved Jesus together. Many of you received prayer up here at the front. And uh, I I just have all week long had had a sense in my heart that lots of people today just needed to rest in the presence of Jesus. And and, and that's what we're going to do. So I, I want to ask you, will you just put your things aside?